Wow, it's really weird. We uh, we usually have uh, someone that just sort of bursts in out of nowhere, and two of us are so accustomed to them being here to do that <laughs> that we both just waited for like a full five seconds for that to happen. I was I was debating for a good solid few seconds, like, do I just start this like it's a very generic uh, news show? Like, I'm like, hello and welcome to Podquisition. It's your typical show for predictable intros and standard formats. It's totally normal. Nothing's changed. Very normal week. Very normal indeed. Yeah, we're, 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 we're a person down this week. We are. What? No, oh. we're not. I'm here. It's me, <laughs> J- James... Stephanie fucking Sterling, you perforated pustules. Thank God for me. Thank thank God for you indeed. Uh, I, I don't know if you can tell, listener, we might have an imposter in our midst. We might. Oh, indeed. Just maybe, possibly. What? I'm, I'm not an imposter. Listen to this perfect rendition of my impersonation of uh, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the lovely Casey explosion on this week because um, uh, James Stephanie Sterling has unfortunately uh, taken with a bit of back pain, couldn't make it to the show today. We hope they're feeling a lot better by the time you hear this, but we're always thrilled to have Casey here. Casey, how are you? I'm, do- I'm doing really good today, so uh, after after a week of pure agony with with a with a ghastly tooth oh if, um, oh there's nothing worse that got yanked and i am feeling so relieved today i am glad that we can capitalize on you feeling better to be like right now jump right back into work be productive make things for us exactly i'm really happy it's what capitalism's all about exactly what use is being in good health if you can't convert that into productive work <laughs> you know you, you know you joke about it but I've, I've, for this past week i wished for nothing more than to just get back to it i mean well, yeah. same like when I, when I was on surgery recovery a few years back, like, all I wanted to do was get back to working. <laughs> I have taken one vacation in the last decade, and uh, it was, like, about a week and a half, I think. And it was right at the peak of Gamergate, so don't get me wrong, I was glad to be out of country. Yeah! But I can't, I mean, just the thought of having more than three consecutive days where I don't do something productive, uh. just... I can feel the tension in my stomach nodding up just at that premise. I I took some time off over Christmas and I spent the entirety of it making Gundam model kits. I spent like three straight days making one robot where its eyes light up and I felt very proud of that. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I changed my, my productivity to something less productive, but that still felt productive, so it was fine. I started getting into model painting. Oh, I love model painting. I've never had mm. the coordination for it, which is why I do the model kits, because it's just like, ah, this is all just plastic that snaps together. N- nothing mm. I can fuck up too badly here. Do you know, I didn't think I'd... I'd be into it as much as I am, but I found it very, very relaxing. Incredibly. So I got a nice little nice little Mechanicus fella from the Warhammer 40k universe. For those who aren't familiar, Mechanicus are like, imagine if the Borg were a religious order who fix all your cars and do tech support for your for your for your um cable. Empire. 
but yeah, on, a, on an empire level. So, you know. So who, who's who's played video games this week? Who wants to talk about a thing that they have played? I actually want to talk about model painting a bit. It's I haven't done okay. it in like a decade. But uh, no, gosh, maybe longer, probably 15 years. But I used to really be into it. Like, and I wasn't good. But man, there's something just so incredibly calming about this tiny little thing in your hand and yeah. tiny little brush and just making it look the way you want to make it look. It's, it is fantastically relaxing. Yeah. Well, me and my girlfriend were doing it together. So we, we kind of, we, 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 we were both painting stuff because we both, we both like the Mechanicus. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got, she got some uh, Skitari Rangers and I got some of the, the little tech priests. So we've been, we were doing that together while watching horror movies and it was great. Ooh. So I watched, um, watched Fido, which is a, that's fun. Yeah. It's an amazing movie and I watched Session 9 as well. So we're there watching horror movies and painting. Marvelous time. I have to do it again sometime soon. All right, so now that we've successfully fulfilled the role of not talking about video games, we can talk <laughs> about video. I just, I, you know, it didn't feel right. We've crossed the five minute mark. We've yeah. done that. We've done our duty in terms of non-video games. <laughs> yeah, who's who's got a video game they want to talk about? I've loads of video games I want to talk about. Tell us about a video game that you want to talk about. So something very exciting happened to me last month. Uh, I got approached by the uh, PR company. To see if I wanted to cover a, a video game. What was the video game? This was like a career-defining moment for me because uh, it was Neo 2. And I was like, hell yes. I already had the game pre-ordered. And I got it's like, it was a nice little... It's always a nice moment when a game you were already planning to get is like, do you, do you want this early? And I'm like, yes. Yes, please. That one. I got it two weeks earlier. So I was Ooh. like, I got to be playing it and streaming it for two weeks before it came out. Uh, this is the PC version. It was already out for a year mm-hmm. on PlayStation. But um, I got the shiny, the shiny uh, PC complete edition. So I was... Entirely thrilled because if anybody knows, I'm a big fan of the kind of Dark Souls-y genre, subgenre of games. And uh, Neo was just absolutely one of my favorites. It's it's the it's probably the best non-FromSoft Souls-like there there is. So I was exceptionally thrilled, and uh, yeah, so I was playing the hell out of that, and plan to be playing more of it when I go back to stream. Because it is, it is so good. Well, what is it that makes? Because I, well, I, I mean, I'm kind of not into Souls likes anymore. Okay, I was very into Demon Souls. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that a lot, and then I played some of some others, you know. And I like I played Dark Souls, and that was it. Didn't scratch the itch in the same way or it felt a lot it felt like a lot of retread uh despite the open world for me and then i just bloodborne was fun but i didn't get encouraged to push forward through that as much so if i were to go play neo or be interested in neo what would i have that that would be a different experience there like sell me a little bit well for one the setting is is uh, it's a japanese historical mythology kind of setting so you you have a bit of like historical fiction and a lot of kind of creatures and monsters from japanese mythology and it's very much its own thing 
it it has it has a, a flavor of its own that's very separate to a lot of Souls likes, which are you know Souls games generally being more of a European medieval or in Bloodborne's case sort of Victorian kind of kind of sensibility. Mm-hmm. You know, aside from Sekiro, there is not many Souls likes that are set in Japan, so. To get that kind of kind of uh, that setting alone is uh, is a big reason why I was interested in Neo in the first place. It was like, ooh, samurai souls! I'm into this, and you know, so you got a lot of um, fantastic creatures from from Japanese mythology, and something that Neo Two does that I think improved upon the first one greatly is introducing a lot more creatures. They have. One of the biggest criticisms of the first was the enemy variety, and they definitely seem to have addressed this. So you get a lot of a lot more fantastic mythological creatures from mm. Japanese mythology. So you know you'd have stuff like the the Kappa um, in the first game, and uh, you know lots, lots of little stuff like that. But like so much of the enemies in in the first game, it was like you'd be facing off against skeleton warriors again and again. And that's something that uh, was a little bit of a black eye for the game. But in the second, they up the variety a lot. They do, they do a lot with it. So you got a lot. I don't want to kind of spoil anything, mm-hmm. but it, there's some great stuff in there. All right. And the combat's a lot faster and more. It's, it's more fluid. I do like faster combat. I do find that the, you know, draggy stuff. I, I like platinum games okay that's that's the level i tend to run at with that stuff fair enough i, li- I like platinum as well I'm, I'm a big fan of uh metal gear rising especially mm-hmm. oh. i just picked that up uh in oh. the last uh in the steam lunar sale for a, a song because i've been meaning to get back and play that again and, and oh, it is, is delightful it is just yes that's the word i was going to use i've been meaning to get back to some platinum game stuff recently like i've been i've been craving um metal gear rising again and i've had a real urge to go back and play uh, astral chain which is that one on the switch uh, the nintendo exclusive platinum game from a couple of years ago right both, both of them i've been really craving hmm. well casey something i know that uh, you play is something that I played. Oh, y- yes. I know what you've both played this week. Curse of the Dead Gods? Yeah, because that that finally launched this past yeah, week. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. This was yeah. 1.0 finally, wasn't it? Well, it's 1.23. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> they, they jumped a few, I think. But, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and it's... I was kind of uh, shocked, actually. I was really surprised by it. And I even read the patch notes, and I'm glad that I did because I was at least prepared for something to be a bit dramatically different when I returned to it. You know, and I have been playing pretty consistently up to release, but this last update, they completely changed the uh, level select. Yeah, I saw that. And it's so interesting because I had hit a wall on the game. Hmm. And I was starting to reach a point. I was like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to play any further. Um, and that was at the point where, all right, I've beaten the hard explorations. And now it's the very hard exploration and the, you know, whatever Uber final night, whatever. They had these two other difficulties. Mm. It was just layering on more difficulty without being particularly compelling and i was like i don't know that my skill is up to doing this in the first place and they're not changing much of anything other than just adding a couple of modifiers 
So when I come back here this week for final release, they've done away with all of that. <laughs> Apparently, uh, there are some. There's a settings menu that's described in the patch notes that I didn't find and may not be available until you beat the game to have harder runs. Hmm. But um, they've sort of streamlined it to where the the structure before had been. You would attempt each of the three different temples in their first area, then their first and second area, and, and then finally their first, second, and third. Now, you still do all of that, but it culminates in a run that combines the three different temples with one set of stages for each, oh. and the opportunity to fight all of the champion mini-bosses from their runs along the way. Which and, and they are optional. They're now part of the route that you can select. And if you fight them, it's just as if you had fought them before and it, it'll wipe a whole curse from you um, or a hundred, you know, uh, corruption, which is great because they've also upped the amount of uh, curse that you accumulate going through doors. Uh, and it's 30 now. So it ramps up faster. You have to decide whether or not you want to deal with these mini boss encounters you're forced to fight all of the champions and it's tough it's a really tough mix and it randomizes which order you are tackling the three different temples i find the jaguar temple to be pretty easy mm. while you know uh the other two are more challenging i think the eagle spire is is frustratingly difficult at points and I, I, I just I loathe the statues uh, in that one. I mean, they are just the range is it's obscene. Smash them! Yeah, yeah, definitely. But they've also made some pretty good uh, like gameplay tweaks. The parry is a little bit easier to execute. I always find I, even before any any tweaks, I've always found the game pretty forgiving in in terms of parries. It's it is one of, the, one of the easiest games to get into parrying with. I mean, that's clearly evidenced by the fact that I can execute them somewhat consistently now, <laughs> and I am the worst at that stuff. Um, and they've actually added uh, an increase to the window if you have a shield equipped now, too, yeah, for that parry. That, that's which been is, in there a while, I think. Yeah, that, and that that's a good approach to that, I think. I That's the thing I wish more games would do as someone that loves the concept of a parry, but is never able to do them. Yeah. Give me a way to make a build that you will give me a better window on so that I can do the cool thing. Yeah, allow them to compensate a little bit for, yeah. for skill with mechanics. I think that that's, that's a good call. But yeah, so anyway, uh, it's very good. I like the changes that they've made to this in no, in no small part because it, it's made me feel like I might see a conclusion to this. Yay! And and it's it's still fun. It's good. It's a good game. I'm I'm glad to hear you getting on getting on well with it. Yeah, huzzah! Yeah, I'm also excited now because it's been it's been in early access on PC for for a year. So that was on on Steam for a year before before full release and so i've seen quite a few iterations and changes over the year mm -hmm. and it's i'm very excited for people on console to to get into it because it's mm. it's 
easily one of my favourite roguelikes uh, of last year. And there were some damn good ones last year. Console release is probably the thing that will get me to get around to playing it. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think uh, James Stephanie was going to try it out. So I'm like, I'll wait for the Switch. That's me with these kind of games. Anything that's like lots of runs, I like to be able to play on a handheld. Just yeah. pick it up and play in short bursts. It's definitely one that I that I think would benefit from play being played on on a handheld it's just it's it's that kind of game where you can be doing something else very easily so i i oftentimes i might be listening to a podcast while i'm playing the game because mm-hmm. there is no story there's no dialogue yeah nothing you don't have to pay any attention to any kind of spoken word because there isn't any it is great for consuming YouTube essays. Exactly so. Yeah. I played a game this week that I thought was going to be one of those great to have on while you're watching YouTube essays kind of games. And it is not what I thought it was. I'm having a great time, but um, I'm about 13, 14 hours deep into Persona 5 Strikers. Oh. Which was pitched to me and I sort of understood it as it's a Warriors game. It's like Hyrule Warriors. It's the Warriors right. team, you know, taking the Warriors format and sort of throwing a good faithful coat of paint of another property over it. I expected, like, ah, oh, the music and the characters I know, but it's probably going to be 90% Warriors combat. That's not what this game is. This is a full-on Persona 5 sequel in many, many, many regards, particularly its pacing. Oh. It's very weird to play an Omega Force Koei Tecmo game that is probably 60 to 70% conversations. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So this is a direct sequel to Persona 5. It does not in any way, shape or form hold your hand and explain any of who anyone is. If you pick this up having not played Persona 5, you will just be like, here's our team of eight heroes. You will barely know their names. Continue the story. And much like the pacing of actual Persona 5, you will frequently have, let's say, two to two and a half hours of basically visual novel with light sort of exploration, and you might go talk to a bunch of people in a 3D environment to get clues and find out what the story is, followed by a couple of hours of gameplay. You'll have a couple of hours of intense dungeon crawling back to back and then back to another two or three hours of story which i certainly wasn't anticipating there are huge stretches of this game where you could show someone maybe 90 minutes straight of that game with no cuts and if they didn't know what this is they'd just be like oh it's a persona 5 sequel like that you wouldn't see anything to tell you that that's not what it was so once you get to the dungeons which you know show up about as frequently as the ones in Persona 5. It is warrior's combat with a caveat. You're you're rarely dropped into a big open world environment to just fight thousands of things at once. It's a lot more. Here you are in a dungeon crawling environment and you'll have individual enemies that, you know, if you touch them in an RPG would be your random battles. But instead of a turn-based random battle, you get thrown into Maybe a couple of hundred units get thrown in and you do a big fight. It's traditional warrior's combat on the surface. You've got your light attacks, heavy attacks, do them in combos, uh, that sort of thing. It does have some really nice attempts at bringing stuff from the JRPG combat of Persona 5 into the warrior's format. At any time, you can hold down the right bumper to 
pause the action and bring up a turn-based combat menu that functions exactly the same as it did in Persona 5, spend magic points to do various elemental spells, they'll have various shapes and distances of where they will affect on the battlefield, they will have different elemental types and resistances. It feels almost, in some regards, comparable to uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake in that regard, in that it is... A game where largely you will be doing action, real-time combat, but every now and then you pause to do a dramatic special attack that you pause to access the pause menu. I really like the flow of the combat. I, I like some of the, the other touches they've thrown in, such as um, you've always got a party of four characters available, and they encourage you to switch back and forth between characters by giving you a attack and defense boost, for a certain amount of time after you switch characters. Uh, so the ideal way to play is that like every 30 seconds to a minute you swap over and use someone else for a bit, which definitely prevented me just using the same one character over and over again. I'm really enjoying it. It, it certainly isn't what I was expecting. I was not expecting a, a Warriors game where the first 90 minutes there's maybe two minutes of fighting, but it's been really fun. <laughs> Oh, that's good to hear. So yeah, I think a lot of people are going to have a very skewed perspective of what to expect from this one. Yeah, I, I kind of, I, I, I remember seeing it announced, and I was like, "Oh, it's coming, coming to Steam, it's coming to PC," and it's like I kind of lost all interest then because I haven't played any of the other Persona games, and I was thinking, "Yeah, wouldn't it make more sense to put Persona Five out?" on yeah. PC first. I'm surprised they haven't done what they did with, not a good game, but with uh, with Catherine, which I think yeah. was also Atlas, uh, an Atlas game, which is PlayStation consoles had got, what was it, Catherine Full Body, which is the sort of like remake with extra content. Yeah. For Persona, it's Persona 5 Royale. Uh, and, you know, when Catherine Full Body released, they were like, okay, the base version of Catherine with that special stuff, that can go on PC and Switch. And I'm... <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't do that here and go, okay, Royale is exclusive to PlayStation, but the base version of Persona 5, you can get that on PC and Switch now. Yeah, because they, they put out uh, Persona 4 on PC as well last year. Yeah, they did. Granted that it's been years between that game, you know, originally releasing and coming to PC, but like, it seems strange to release this. Playing through this, huge sections of it are just Persona 5. Like, there's no reason that Persona 5 couldn't, say, run on the Switch. And hmm. If you're going to put this on those platforms, just give people base Persona 5, even if you don't give them the, the fancy version with the extra content. Yeah, it seems, it seems odd. Indeed. Uh, what about you both? Have you played anything else you'd like to talk about? I can go for way too long about what I've been playing. I was playing loads of Factorio. Oh, oh I love me some Factorio. Oh, yes. So this game came out recently called um, Dyson Sphere Project. It's a Chinese indie game uh, where you build a, a Dyson Sphere. Uh, and it looks really cool. And I took one look at it and I was like, this reminds me of Factorio. Well, better play some more Factorio. Uh, it's the same thing that I did when uh, Satisfactory came out. I was like, I was watching friends play that on Twitch. I was watching uh, Sean from YouTube uh, stream that. And looks fantastic. Reminds me of Factorio. Well, that's fire up Factorio again, <laughs> which is good. Like, it, that's fair enough. Both of the games are meant to be fantastic. And I just like... Yep, uh, just it's just inspires me to play more Factorio. So I'm like ninety hours or something in deep in in Factorio. 
and it's a classic for a reason. It's well, it's another one of those that was uh, for a long, long, long time in early access and just hit final release in the last yeah year. last year it came out yeah and it's very good and it it's been playable for a long time and it's just gotten more flexible and uh now i'm i'm it's nice that it's something that i feel like i've been able to replay over and over again and it still feels like i'm discovering new things every time i do it i get a little more efficient or i start experimenting with something some aspect yeah. of the game that could have you know had an impact on it had i chosen to pursue it on prior runs but i never did and now i can you know you start looking at how the logistics systems could actually work together for power efficiency and you you know the scale of this game is incredibly vast but it doesn't have to be and i really appreciate that about it it's a lot it's an awful lot of fun so we started started even doing some multiplayer me and my girlfriend and so she she had uh, set up this vast rail network and uh I was kind of handling a lot of the other stuff. So I was setting up oil refineries and things like that and uh, built a tank. So I was, I was handling all the military side of stuff and I was trundling along in my little tank where, where she was um, flying, zipping around on, on her rail network and automating everything. And we had so much fun. So I'm, she's off playing Valheim now which uh, I'm, I'm not picking up any new games for as long as I can. I'm not going to say for the year but for as long as I can last, I'm not picking up any new games. I'm going to focus on my existing library. Getting through the stuff that you've been meaning to play. Yeah, because I got I picked up a load of stuff in December. And it was uh, stuff like, which was it? Games that I'd gotten from publishers or developers that I never got around to. And I kind of... Oh, that that kind of kind of burned me out a bit. I had so much. But I finally got around to playing one called... Um, Para Aspera recently, which I picked up from the publisher. I was given that back in December and I and I just I never got around to it. And it's fine. It's okay. This is another one of those space ones, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of those kind of uh colony sims. Yeah, so you play as an AI who's tasked with colonizing Mars and it's set in the future. And I like what they're going for with this, which is kind of like telling a story it's very uh, very story driven which you don't expect from this type of game so it's more it's more like it's trying to tell a story with the backdrop of a base building management sim mm -hmm. kind of game and they did uh you know they got in quite uh, well known voice actors for for this so you will hear Troy Baker uh, mumbling along and he's not very good he kind of phones this one in and like it's a small enough uh, kind of indie studio and like I think like the game has suffered for having these these big voice actors and seems as that's that's where they kind of put some of their budget and it's like yeah yeah this doesn't just looking at the trailer footage on Steam this doesn't look like the sort of game that uh, I would spend the kind of money getting established voice actor talent in for. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem necessary. Yeah. It seems like an odd 
use of budget for a project like this. Because the game does actually look like it could be kind of fun, and I, the aesthetic is interesting, and the little road mappy quality of connecting yeah. all of these various buildings, I find that to be kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's an okay base builder i've played better and sure i think what has been compelling so far is to try and see where, where does the story goes because you're playing as a, as a sentient ai that's learning about itself as it colonizes mars and it's very you know the voice acting is quite quite good uh for for the ai it seems you know very, fairly decent but it feels like it's like the the, the gameplay itself it just feels a bit rote it's not as engaging as I'd like to, like it to be to invest me in the game to to play the story out and I'm like I'm kind of just like I want to see where this goes but also I could be playing something else. So that was a little disappointing. Yeah. Uh what about you Conrad? Have you been playing anything else? Yeah, I've been playing Control. Oh Ooh. yeah, you've been playing you've been replaying Control. Been replaying Control. It is it is still very uh good. It's a very good game. Uh, I have now uh, got most of my powers in my runs. I'm like th maybe two thirds of the way through. I just I love the aesthetic of it. Mm. I love the sense of just constant unreality and uh, yeah. and confusion that it tries to inflict upon you as you play. Yeah, it's consistently one of the best games I've ever played in terms of trying to do that sort of consistently interesting unreal environment without getting repetitive or force feeling forced. Mm -hmm. And every section of this, of the oldest house, it just feels unique. Mm. Um, it, it, it brings something new to the table, and I don't mind revisiting them to do little sub-questy things because they're all interesting. Mm. The concepts are cool. I'm looking forward to getting through the main game again and, and getting into the DLC, which is the main reason I'm, I'm playing it again. It's because <laughs> yeah. I haven't done the DLC, and then I started up the game and I'm like, uh, controls or what? <laughs> It's like, I know I've got all these badass abilities. I don't know how any of them work anymore. So, uh, but but I did remember that the only thing you really need to do is uh, feed into the uh, telekinesis skill tree line. Yes. And and, and that takes care of it. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, that's been, it's been enjoyable. I do, I do like, I do like it. One thing though, I just... The mod system in that. Yeah. The inventory management is so unnecessary. Yeah. Make another skill tree. <laughs> if you're going to yeah. do this, make another skill tree. Have me pick up resources. Let me decide how to spend the resources down the skill tree. Fine. Uh, but, but that having to go through and delete shit from my inventory all the time yeah and the fact that you know it's it's a hold to confirm situation uh i don't think there's a way to cue them although maybe there isn't i'm just stupid but it is it's tedious tedious yeah so one one little black eye on an otherwise stellar game mm. yeah and i'm just glad jim's not here to bitch about the map Ah. <laughs> uh. So one other thing I've been doing that's not strictly playing a game this week, but it is playing games adjacent. Mm -hmm. um, I've been learning to fix 
Joy-Cons for the Switch this week. I was very curious when I saw that. Yeah, so I, you know, I love the Switch as a piece of hardware, but the official controllers that ship with it suck yeah they, they i i love the form factor of those controllers but the analog sticks suck and they have a terribly short shelf life and they start to drift and it takes multiple weeks for nintendo to um repair them and whatever they do to repair them doesn't last terribly long and it basically led to me using knockoff third party joy cons for a while and someone was telling me recently that it's really easy to just buy some cheap replacement analog sticks that last much better and fit them yourself. So I thought, oh, fuck it. Let's have a look. So I went looking on Amazon. Terrible, terrible company, but I, I found a pack of four Switch analog sticks for a tenner. So for about 2 each. And I thought, look, I'm not using these Joy-Cons because of the drift anyway. What harm could I do trying to learn to fix them? Took me about 10 minutes per controller to, fi- to to do the fixes once I knew what I was doing. It is surprisingly easy if you... Basically, all you need is a tri-wing screwdriver to get the thing open. The most difficult part of the repair is just... There's a lot of, un- of ribbon cables you don't want to unnecessarily unseat because it's just going to be a faff to get them back into place. So you end up like holding the controller opened up like a book with the battery sort of along your arm. And you're like, right, the whole thing's open. Let's get the bits out. One of them's easier to repair than the other. The right Joy-Con, much easier to repair if you're trying to do this for the first time in that you don't have to remove any ribbon cables to get to the analog stick itself. Mm. Uh, The only ribbon cables you have to handle are removing the old analog stick and putting the ribbon cable of the new analog stick in place. The left one there's two ribbon cables that run over the analog stick housing, so you just have a few additional ribbon cables that, like, you should probably practice on the right one before you could try the left one. Yeah, I was surprised how Nintendo hardware is not usually this user-friendly to open up and fix yourself. Well, I mean, apart from... Uh, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, the hardest thing about fixing Nintendo stuff in my experience, or at least in terms of replacing basic parts like analogs or D-pads or buttons, mm. is just they, you know, them using some some alternative screw. Yeah. That's usually the issue, which, you know, you find the, the tool in the aftermarket, and once you're in there, it's usually not too bad. Honestly, yeah. Like, once once you've got the... the they only use tri-wing screws on the, the outside casing, so there's, like, four tri-wing screws to remove, and then on the inside, it's just regular small Phillips heads. Yeah. Yeah, basically, you just flip the, the battery compartment up, unscrew a couple of screws uh, to get the plastic housing the battery sits in out the way. Um, remove two screws and out comes the analog stick. Um, I've been using my, my newly repaired ones for the last couple of days. They work good as anything. The only advice I'd give to people who want to try this is the aftermarket analog sticks that seem to be on sale have a slightly longer ribbon cable than the original analog stick that is Nintendo has in the controller. It will look when you seat the analog stick's ribbon cable like it hasn't gone in deep enough. Don't force it. It has gone in far enough, there is just additional length of ribbon cable. Because it just sort of sits bent up and like sort of arched up slightly mm. rather than sitting as flat down. But yeah, now now that I've done it, I don't know why I didn't get around to doing this much sooner. It is a much less daunting fix than I thought. So I will report back over time how these new analog sticks hold up, but 
they seem to work just great. All right. Well, that's positive. Yeah. That's, that's nice. It was nice to to have a bit of broken tech and be like, fuck it, I can I can sort this myself. Which it's always a nice feeling to be like, I, I fixed my own piece of consumer electronics. Other than that, the only the only other thing I've been playing this week is I started playing through um are you both aware of Dinosaur Planet? Yes, that's the um the rare game that ultimately became Star Fox Adventures. It was a, a, yes. a an N64 uh, title initially, uh, and then over time became the GameCube game. Uh, yeah, yeah. So a near-finished build of that game has leaked online um, that was acquired from some collector who's had it since, like, around the year 2000. And while the current build is not playable start to finish, the people who have been archiving it are like, we reckon with a little bit of, uh, of of hacking, it should be able to get there. But they have put out a playable ROM that definitely functions. It's a little bit glitchy in places, like occasionally a floor texture won't lo- load in and you have to walk over an invisible floor that looks like you're going to fall to progress. But yeah, I played probably about half an hour of, of Dinosaur Planet today. Mm-hmm. I was really struck by how complete of a game this felt. Mm-hmm. From a preservation standpoint, it's fascinating. Anytime you see a game that clearly was not more than a few months from being able to, like, being complete enough they could have put it out, that never comes out. And it's not like a one-for-one port um, of Star Fox Adventures. Like, very clearly, all the work on this was thrown out to start over from scratch for... Star Fox Adventures. A lot of your like character designs are and, and things are the same. Crystal seems to be the main playable character much more than say Foxes in Star Fox Adventure. Mm-hmm. It's interesting seeing Crystal be a much bigger focus of the narrative as a playable character. But yeah, a lot of the things like uh, enemy designs, villain designs, the dinosaur designs, your um, <sighs> the basic flow of the game, all completely intact. Like you can see. Everything that would become Star Fox Adventures is very much here. I I was very pleasantly surprised with how modern it felt for an N64 game. It's one of those few N64 games, and I think Rare was one of, one of the few companies that was doing it, that has, like, full voice acting, for example, which you didn't get a lot of on the N64. The... Ability to shoot things with your with your staff in sort of like, ah, I'm doing my melee combat and now I'll point my staff and shoot energy blasts from it. All feels really fun. I would recommend people check it out and track it down because it is it is remarkable how complete of a game it feels. And while it's got some rough edges and some things that clearly are not as polished as they were in Star Fox Adventures, the DNA of that game is completely there. You know when you see those videos that people make, uh, look at this demake I made of a game, and it's usually, we made a short little animation of what that game might look like? This feels like getting to play a, well, I suppose it is getting to play a, essentially a demake of a game that I'd already played and enjoyed. So, hmm. yeah, surprisingly complete thing, and I'm very curious to see how the the modding scene around that does at managing to get the full thing playable because apparently it seems like most of the content is in there. Huh, fascinating. I'd never heard of this. Yeah. It ended up because it, it, Star Fox Adventure is this weird game that is like, it's a Star Fox game that's not about being in a spaceship flying around. Hmm. And yeah, no, apparently it, it was a rare game that just had a very weird development history. 
Anyone else got anything else they want to talk about we've played, or should we move on to newsy bits? Yeah, we do have a few things we gotta get. Yeah. Got a decent amount of newsy stuff on on, on the on the topic list. Where shall we start on uh, the news this week? Oh, we've got more Stadia news since last week. Oh. We've got some updates and we've got some new Stadia stories. Oh boy. Very exciting. I'm I'm really excited to hear about all the cool new Stadia exclusives I can play on my Google Stadia. Oh. It, uh, <sighs> I mean, it's. It, I hate. I hate being right. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I don't say that to brag, or it's, it's just this it was a bad yeah. idea from Go, and now we're seeing the fallout from the bad idea. Yeah. So last week we talked about the fact that um, Stadia head Phil Harrison emailed a bunch of Stadia developers uh, saying, hey, great work, everyone. We'll talk about funding next week. And then a couple of days later, fired everyone. Now, one detail of that story that I think we missed last week. Oh, yeah. No, we missed it for sure. We, we missed yeah, it for yeah. sure. Uh, this was like tucked into the middle of the story. I'm kind of, li- I don't know how surprised I am that it didn't like become someone's pullout headline somewhere else. Yeah, I, I feel like it should have been bigger news than it was. And we managed to miss it because it was buried in the middle of a story. Um, I think this is legitimate news because... Jade Raymond, who was working at Stadia and then got fired, shared this, which lends it some credibility. About three days after the firing, there was a a call between all of the people who'd been fired and Phil Harrison, and one of the questions was, hey... What did you know and when did you know it? It's the classic, you know... When you told us, hey, we're going to talk funding in a few days, you're doing great, did you know you were going to fire us in a few days? And... The short version is yes. Phil Harrison did know that he was about to fire them, and he knowingly sent them a misleading email to not let them cotton on to the fact they were going to be fired. I will see if I can find the the, uh, the the pull quote from the article quickly. Developers had to wait three days after receiving the news to directly share their confusion and frustration with Harrison in a second conference call on February 4th. This call was followed by a contentious Q&A where the Stadia boss was confronted about his email from just the week before, which suggested anything but a wholesale shutdown of the studios. Harrison expressed his regret over misleading statements made in his previous email, uh, according to sources with knowledge of the call. When asked what changed from from the, the week prior, Harrison admitted nothing and told those on the call, we knew. No, no he said it's not that Harrison... Admitted nothing. No, he said that um, nothing had changed. Yeah, we admitted that nothing had changed. Well, no, I mean because it's it's slightly weirdly worded in 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 the story in Kotaku, and, and yes, th- they asked what had changed, and he said nothing had changed. We we were always planning to fire you. Yeah. Uh, I I mean you know I don't know. It's not surprising. Is the thing that this is uh, kind of how it goes. I don't know that there's a whole lot of benefit to telling your staff everything's going great a few days before you're you're going to fight. I mean, if you're talking about a few months or whatever, if you still have some sort of hope that there's going to be a future, you know, okay, fine, maybe, sure. But if you're going to do it within a few days, maybe you just wait the few days and then instead of saying. You know, I'm so proud of the work you've done so far. You can just say, we're so proud of the work we did, but. But. 
See, I wonder if part of it was we've made the decision, we know that there's a possibility it might leak. What if we say this so that if anything does start to rumble, developers will go, no, that's not true. We're, we're talking funding in a few days and they'll think nothing of it. You know, conspiratorial, but... Ah, oh, but don't worry. If you want to play some games on Stadia, you know, that's that's fine. You can go play Journey to the Savage Planet, which is a game on Stadia that... Currently, you can't get past the menu screen on it, and no one quite knows who's supposed to fix that because Stadia fired all the people who were working on the Stadia version of that game. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I believe you can play Judgment, the Yakuza spin-off on Stadia, because it seems like uh, Google went and spent a bunch of money to get this as an exclusive for Stadia on PC. So instead of going to Steam or something like that, they're going to sit on it. Yeah. Until the exclusivity runs out. Yeah. 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 Nobody's going to be going to be getting Stadia now. All the red flags are being fired up. It's a terrible red flag when one of your own games that you purchased for the service is currently unplayable and you fired all the people that could fix it. I mean, I'm just, I'm sort of, I, why even? Yeah. Why even continue the service? It doesn't make any sense. Because the writing is so clearly on the wall that they're done. Yeah, yeah. So the short version with this story was Google acquired a developer called Typhoon Studios who were making the Stadia port of this game. And the Stadia port is broken, but they've laid off all the Typhoon Studios staff. And Google was like, hey... Go speak to 505 Games, the original developers. They'll 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 fix the game. And 505 said, "No, we don't have any of the code for the Stadia port. You had a separate team make that. We can't help you. That's we we didn't make your version. You fired everyone who made your version. It's your problem." Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do we have on the topic list? Casey, do you want to talk about uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2? No, I don't. I wish I did. I wish I didn't have to talk about this because this is this is this is really sad. Uh, so Paradox has gone and they've delayed the game indefinitely, cancelled pre-orders, and have uh, decided no, we're not going to. We're not continuing development with the current developer, which was. Hard suit labs. They're going to find a new developer to continue the project, and this is quite personally very upsetting because I was very excited. I don't, I don't get yeah. too hyped for games, big games coming out, but this one was, uh, this one was uh, very exciting for me because I, I, I loved the original Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. I still have my original physical copy of that uh, as well as uh, Vam- Vampire the Masquerade Requiem was it the one that was before that oh yeah I mean I'm a big Vampire the Masquerade fan I, I make no secret of that um, I mean the video games sure uh, but the, <laughs> but the setting and the, um, yeah. the the tabletop stuff I'm a big 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 fan of but this this is good news I, 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 I'm mm, this is like oh. mm. This is good news. Look, I okay. CD Projekt had uh, their parent company had all of the White Wolf stuff forever, and they could have done Vampire Bloodlines two and didn't. And thank God, because you see what happens. Yeah. yeah. 
right? And it's the same sort of thing. I would much rather the, you know, if the publisher is unhappy with the product, I would much rather them stop production, get the team that's going to make the thing that they want, that they think is going to satisfy their audience. I agree with you with the caveat that I cannot name a single video game where it has ever been a good sign that development has been going in such a direction that they need to completely scrap the plan, develop it, and well, go no, with a different think... developer. That is usually a terrible sign for the end result of the game. Right, but it, but at the same time, we almost n- we never get to see the end result of if they'd kept going. Yeah. And I mean, I I'm not going to say it's going to be worse than it would have been if they'd pushed forward. It will it will almost certainly be better for it. But I would much rather wait longer. Yeah. Than than get the risk. And you know, even I mean, and don't get me wrong, this could be a worse team. It could wind up being a much worse game conceptually. Yeah. It could totally be the wrong decision for us, you know, a publisher to make this call. But if it's the wrong call to keep going, if it comes out, if it yeah. wrecks the franchise, imagine how pissed off you are. I agree that it's, you know, probably wise if they're not comfortable with the developer to pick another developer, but also this news very much means that I am not going to have any expectations for the end result because well that was also a, a good idea i mean this is all only positive stuff i'm hearing yeah so th- this game's development has been a bit of a mess i'm having a look uh, at a timeline of the last year or so of of issues with this game so originally it was going to be releasing in qu- the first quarter of 2020 then it got delayed twice then Chris Avalon had to be removed from the project because everything that happened with Chris Avalon mm-hmm. and sexual assault allegations last year. Mm. Then in August, they, uh, they uh, hinted that there was some kind of organizational changes happening that were delaying the game into 2021. I can see how that might happen. Yeah. When you undergo a massive, you know, move like having to remove Avalon and Avalon's work from this project. But then later in August, the lead narrative designer and creative director for the game were fired. And there was no real word on what had happened. Curious. It wasn't that they'd left the project, but they had been fired. And both of them described it as a shock. And yeah, th- then Kara Ellison, who was the senior narrative designer, left the project back in October. Like, it's constantly had just lots and lots of the major people attached to this have either been fired or removed or have optionally left. Well, and, and then if that's the case... Maybe going to a new organization that doesn't have what might be some sort of cultural problem or something going on there that yeah. is resulting in this turnover. Whether and I don't when I say a cultural problem, I'm not like talking about a system of abuse necessarily, but you know, that can mean a lot of different things. You can have a lot of ideas in a company culture that don't work well ultimately to deliver a product. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to make it seem like this is some sort of like, you know, anything it could not be, but that's always a possibility when you see so many changes in a period of time. It, it sort of speaks to something about the company isn't working. Yeah. So, yeah. It is, I mean, it's a bummer that people aren't going to get the game right away I, I i agree but i'm you know i'd rather i'd rather not get a bad game 
And it, from the looks of this, it did not look like it was shaping up in a stable direction. Yeah. I I just hope that they are willing to, you know, give this new team the flexibility to make it what they are good at, as opposed to it being, you know, as sometimes happens with games that switch developers, a mismatch of like, oh, you can see where the different visions for this sort of clash. But I do think that this is a, a game in particular because of its status among, you know, the people who like, I mean, it's the only good vampire game as far as I'm concerned. And I don't want to say there's a lot of riding on it, but it could, if you wind up putting out the bad follow-up to that game yeah. after all this time and and the, the, the chance that it's had to sort of gain this status, it's bad. It's real bad. Yeah. And Paradox has done, uh, trying so hard in general, I think, to not be seen as a company that puts out mediocre stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They do have a reputation about putting out kind of me- mediocre stuff that is then f- fixed later on with DLC. That, that is, mm. It's the Focus Home Interactive thing. It's You sometimes put out really wonderful stuff, but there is a lot of hit and miss nature to the stuff and a lot of Ah, we'll fix it later. Yeah, I think I think in in paradox, uh, a paradox game, you can get a mixed bag there. And I think that for what a lot of people would would consider them just piling on the DLC after launch. Yeah, and I think that's something that uh, that they have they've been known for. And I think a lot of the more recent games they they've gotten better in that in that regard of playing. Um, Playing a lot of Planetfall, uh, Age of Wonders Planetfall last last year. Oh, I thought you were talking about the classic Infocom adventure game. No, uh, not that one. The the it's good strategy game. Floyd's adorable. You'd love him. Possibly, they've they've got like a standard three DLC season pass, as did BattleTech before us. So they they're kind of seem to be moving away from what they got the bad reputation for. In general, but I also played another game that they published uh, called Empire of Sin, which yeah is it oh mm. that that game is 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 it's kind of, it's kind of um, sad even because you can see the bones of a really good game there, and everything else about it just felt rushed and pushed out the door before it was ready. There was. So much balance issues and bugs and oh, it was, it was it came out in a very sorry state. I kind I kind of think yeah, it's it's going to be the case that this will be good eventually, but yeah, Paradox as a publisher can be a mixed bag. Well, so while I like a lot of their stuff and it's great that Crusader Kings three came out that to, to such a success, that's that's pretty awesome. But uh, yeah, they're a mixed bag. Uh, what else we got on the news today? I hate I hate to talk more about this game. We'll just be very minimal about it. Hogwarts Legacy, that Hogwarts game that has J.K. Rowling attached to it. Oh, who who's is a turf? Massive transphobe, the big old turf. Yeah, that, yeah. Hmm. noted turf and author J.K. Rowling. Yeah, turns out not the only really shitty person attached to that game. Turns out that the one of the lead designers on that game. I uh, used to be a right-wing Gamergate YouTuber with lots of, you know, anti-women, anti-LGBT, anti-disabled content. 
that was just his whole thing, and now he's also working on that game. Just a reminder to people, you know, maybe, maybe bear that in mind on this one. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of discourse around this issue mm. of this person being the lead designer on this game, and and a lot of like accusation that you know people want to get him fired. I don't think that's true, really, at all. No, um, I you know if 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 you can find work. By all means, get work. I I do question uh, WB Games and associated people involved for their interest in working with that person, but that's not that's neither here nor there. I don't think that that the person should be fired and uh, or anything of the sort. We know full well that WB Games do not care because uh, during that investor call they had uh, shortly after all of the J.K. Rowling trans stuff surfaced. The head of WB Games basically said, well, we don't think anyone should be, you know, persecuted for their opinion. It's just an opinion. And that's, and that's fine. That's a, that's a, a opinion you can have and uh, yeah. you can operate your business however you see fit where that's concerned as long as you're not, you know, discriminating against, and you know, if you view that as a discrimination issue, you know, more power to you, I guess. But um, just, you know, Bear in mind, people, if you are if you are thinking of buying this game, uh, you would be supporting a turf and this uh, this right-wingy YouTube man and a head of a company who's like, hey, I think that turfs should be allowed to be turfs and be supported in that. Well, now, I do also, I will point out, if it's not so much if you buy this game. Because if you buy, yeah. if you buy this game, this person will already have been paid. You know, you 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 might be uh, contributing to their uh, general notoriety, career success in the number sense of they shipped a game that sold X copies. Okay, but if you buy a WB game right now, yeah, you're supporting them. And I'm not saying don't buy WB games. WB games can be great. I like Batman games. I'm just saying that that's how these market economics work. A boycott of Hogwarts Legacy is not going to have an impact. A, a boycott of Hogwarts Legacy will impact specifically showing Rowling's profitability. Hmm. For someone like this that works specifically for WB Games, WB Games you're going to have to put on a list. Then boycotts don't work. No, <laughs> so. they, they they don't still gonna do them. I know they do nothing. I mean, I think they, I think they, at best, they show solidarity with whatever cause or social issue that you're boycotting a product or service for. Yeah, but that can be mostly symbolic. Yeah, at least in terms of games, or at least big budget AAA stuff. Yeah. Interestingly, there is uh, another thingy linked to this story where the forum, is it Resetera? Yeah, they've banned all discussion threads uh, on Resetera about Hogwarts Legacy, which is the first time that this forum has ever done so for a game. Purely because, hey, we keep getting stories about terrible people being connected to this game. We do not want to support their bad views. Hmm. Go talk about it elsewhere. We don't want that game here. Which is, again, mostly a symbolic gesture. It's probably not going to make much actual impact, but I respect the the desire to want to moderate that community. Yeah, I respect the willingness to uh, draw a line in the sand 
wherever your line is with your community and say, you know, this isn't appropriate here. Yeah. Uh, I think that that should apply broadly to Nazis and transphobes. Indeed. Shouldn't it just? But, hey, wherever you draw your line, it's just nice to see you draw some at this point. Yeah. yeah. It, it's nice to see a gaming forum draw a moral line somewhere. <laughs> Casey, did you want to talk about uh, Techland? Ooh, that's a juicy one. And oddly enough, ties into the Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines mm. 2 story in a slightly little way, because uh, Dying Light 2, which is another game that uh, writer Chris Avalon had been fired from after those allegations came out, but... That entire thing seems cursed as well. So, um, if you ha if you haven't read this rather bombshell report on thegamer.com by was it Kirk McCand? Yeah, Kirk McNeed. Yeah, is, is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Maybe I've pronounced it wrong. I've I read it phonetically. Okay, I I apologies, Kirk. If you're listening to this at all, Kirk's good report, and I apologise that I don't know your name's pronunciation. Yeah, so this this has been described as uh, the development of this game has been micromanaged to hell mm. by the CEO of the company, and uh, apparently uh, wouldn't let the uh, developers working use use uh, to to iterate on on Unity or Unreal Engine. They everything had to go through their proprietary engine so they couldn't like test things out in another engine that they might have more technical leeway with is everything had to go through this one engine there's uh reports of outside writers and things and uh lead designers being brought in to the company uh only to be kind of like shuttered off from development when they kind of went against the ceo's vision and it's it's kind of like it's rough yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I've, I've been, I've been looking through this story, and I, I found the problem. Yeah. I, I found the problem. Uh, there's a, there's a, a paragraph right here. Uh, I immediately, as soon as I saw this, I knew uh, where our issue is. Techland's CEO originally hired his wife to handle interior design. <sighs> Uh, before Techland's freelance legal consultant, and after two years as a consultant, became the only female board member, and in February last year took on the role of acting chief HR officer. Yep. And there it is. That's yeah. when you're yes. when you're when the CEO's spouse is the head of HR. When when the person who has to deem whether HR complaints should be taken seriously against the boss is married to the boss. It doesn't even matter if it's an action against the boss. It could be yeah. an action against anyone in the company. But, you know, as as it already stands, the role of HR is not to protect you, the employee. The role of HR is to protect the company. Yeah. That's whose side they're on already. And then if you add the direct financial and relationship interest of a marriage to that of a spouse You're, there is no possible way someone is going to be able to look at that person and think i'm gonna get a fair shot no matter where it is in the company like yeah you're right company-wide that's going to be a problem it's going to be even worse of a problem when from the sounds of it most of the complaints are about the boss being unreasonable well, that is that's what hr is there for too yeah like if you go through the article it is a lot of basically the ceo walking around the studio not giving people constructive advice just being like it's shit 
fucking start it again. It's terrible. It's fucking shit. Uh, throwing around slurs and throwing around um, really offensive insults and making people throw out work yeah. for seemingly no reason to start again and basically being like, I know better than all of you. Do do it my way. You, or you've, you're terrible. Mm. This is a really expansive article that I wish I'd had more time to read. Yeah. Holy yeah. God. It is it is a really worthwhile read. It's a very good read. There's a great, there's a great little paragraph where it says uh, the developers at Techland refer to the CEO's micromanagement as the eye of Sauron, an ever-watchful, yeah. omnipotent force. Gosh, I wish they'd, you know, like, Picked a metaphor from a better piece of fiction than that, but fine. Yeah. Oh, f- fun fun fact. Uh, head of internal sales is the CEO's sister. Oh. Yeah, just bringing the whole family in. Well, so it's, they're, they're trying to be Ubisoft. I get it now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. A- again, um, as you were saying about the, the note of the uh, the wife being the head of HR, uh, there is a really good paragraph in here about that. According to sources, the wife is a friendly, approachable person but her relationship with the CEO makes it hard to come to her with work-based concerns. Yeah. On the flip side, she has the CEO's ear, and people can use that to their advantage. If you can convince her of your idea, she might be able to convince her husband for you. Basically, the system was, do you have something that you want the boss to not shut down? Go convince his wife in HR that it's a good idea, and maybe he won't scream at you not to do it. That's that's not okay. That's how the chain of command, I think, is supposed to work in most corporate structures. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, that's it. That's a that's a mess. Yeah, there's all other parts of speaking about how he's obsessed with what CD Projekt Red are doing, and is constantly comparing uh, his own company to to their company, and. A lot of the former employees would speak about having to, if they have a good idea to bring to the table that will work the game, they have to show show some other big company has already done it or he won't listen. Yeah. You have to show your idea working in another big game entirely. And this is all really sad because they had a good long history of, of development, the, these guys, Techland, that go back to the uh, Call of Juarez games, which... Mm. We're pretty good. A lot of it from reading this article seems to be just conventional, sensible wisdom in game development is in many cases just not allowed here. Like, there's a great example of um, a lot of people on the development team wanted to be able to use off-the-shelf really quick and simple engines such as Unreal or Unity to prototype and iterate ideas and go, let's make sure this mechanic works properly before we move forward. Uh, before we we do it in Techland's proprietary engine, because that's going to take much longer to do to do it there. Yeah, and the CEO being like, "Nope, you don't touch those other engines. You only do it in in our proprietary one," which slowed down every bit of prototyping and iteration because, needlessly, it was being done in a proprietary bit of software. Yeah, sounds real bad. Sounds rough. Give the full piece a read. It is a hell of a read. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. It is a lot. It paints a pretty vivid picture, uh, especially with the line, the, the fish rots from the head. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's, it's, it's sad, because I know, like, there's there's been a lot, a lot of, um, quite a bit of excitement about Dying Light 2. I didn't play the first, though. So yeah, I've no no experience with it. I played some of the first. It was a decent game. It wasn't my thing, but it was decently made. Watched a friend play some. Looks neat. 
The last thing I think we're going to put on the list for this week for the news stuff, Sony, it seems, is going to be bringing more games to PC. Oh. Yeah, not day and date with, uh, with you know, with, with their consoles, it's, it doesn't seem, but they've announced that they're going to be bringing Days Gone, which is that sort of uh, zombie open-worldy game they had, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. That's coming to PC. Yeah. And going forward, it seems like they're, ongoing strategy is going to be release software on PC as well as PlayStation, but give PlayStation a head start. Yeah, it's... Um, it seems like a good plan. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. well, I think they need a access to an additional market if they want to continue to profit from the investment that they're making into these. Uh, and yeah. there is a hunger from PC users for these products who are never, ever going to buy a PlayStation console. It's just not going to happen. Exactly. The other thing about that is that who who can get their hands on a PS5 these days? Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm not... I, that's the other thing is that I don't care. I'm not going to probably buy a PS5. My PS4, I, I think... In the time, and I I bought my PS4 at launch. Mm. Um, I think the number of games I've actually purchased for it, I could count on both hands. But that's it, mm. you know. And I I get the PS Plus games, and that's been fine. And I don't have any real complaints about that necessarily. But I don't feel compelled to buy a PS5 because I barely used my PS4. Yeah. I would be fine playing those games if they do come to PC, but I don't feel like I'm yeah. going to miss anything if I don't. So The impression I've got having a look at release dates, um, comparing when Horizon Zero Dawn came to PS4 and then when it came to PC, and now when Days Gone came to PS4 and when it's coming to, to PC like this year... It looks like about two years is going to be the console exclusivity window. And I think that's sensible for Sony because two years is definitely a long enough window that a lot of Sony fans will still buy your console because there's no way they want to wait two years to play the game that everyone's playing that they want to be playing. Like, I don't think this cannibalizes the market no. for the PS5. If you were going to buy a PS5, you're still going to buy it and you will get, you know, yeah. so you can play your games when everyone's talking about them. Two years later, PC release is great. If anything, this is an acknowledgement of the existence of people like me who would sit around and wait two years to buy their freaking game anyway. Yeah, exactly. I'm in the same boat as Conrad. I think um, not. I haven't owned a console since the PlayStation One. I I like all my stuff in the same place, nice and neat on the same platform. It's fine. I don't have various games spread out over different um, consoles and platforms and things like that. I just buy everything on Steam. I think that this is a smart move. It's very smart. Two years is a good period of time that they will probably hit both of those markets because let's say if you haven't bought a playstation 4 to buy days gone within two years you're not going to buy a playstation 4 to play days gone no matter how long they wait no. that's a sale at that point they're leaving on the table well now when horizon came out on pc i didn't have a pc that i thought was going to be capable of running it in any reasonable spec and i already had it for ps4 um so i, I didn't have any interest necessarily in purchasing it. but did they optimize 
customize it and and have it run in like you know. Oh, K- KC, you'd be the one to ask about this. I know you had trouble with that game. Yeah, when it first released, I was so excited for that game, and I I I actually bought a new hard drive because it was going to be a massive download. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I just said screw it, new new hard drives. I spent money in preparation of that game coming out and I was at the time I still had my trusty 970 graphics card which was starting to show mm. its age at this, this point yes and so for those that don't know the 970 has 4 gigabytes of uh, video RAM almost not really 4 four gigabytes and the PlayStation 4 had I believe 6 gigabytes so one of one of the issues that the game ran into on launch on PC was that it did not have as much uh, visual RAM as it was as it was used to mm-hmm. and so my graphics card in specifically it oh god it it was unplayable it was there 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 are PC ports where it, not everything's perfect it's going to have issues but still be perfectly playable right mm. This was the game would boot up and would optimize for ages. Like it was, it was like fifteen minutes or something optimizing. Go make a cup of tea and come back, and it's still going. It's like it reminds me of loading a cassette tape into a Commodore sixty four back in the day. That's how old I am. Mm. Cousins had a Commodore sixty four, and I rem- I remember those days. I have a Commodore sixty four. Four feet from me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But don't want to say that it was terrible at launch, because for, for some people it would it would work fine. My girlfriend also played us and she had a 1070 or, or a 1080, I can't remember yeah. exactly. And it, it worked fine. I saw her playing it. It was marvellous. And that was directly at launch. So it, de- it depended a lot on your hardware. Okay. Well, and, and that's sort of what I expect from PC. Yeah. But, but I mean, what I guess I'm getting at is, am I getting the best possible, you know, version in theory of it on PC that's available when it comes out. If you've got a good enough graphics card to run it at a good set of settings, then yes, it runs really nicely. Okay, well, and that's sort of the, the thing I'm thinking about here with this later PC release, too, is that they they may very well get some double dips. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Out of this that, you know, that, that are significant, not just a matter of accessing a PC audience, but getting everybody that they can that, that has both platforms available to them to sign on. Yeah, the Horizon Zero Dawn as as a PC port. I had a 970 at the time that came out as well, and yeah, there is a certain flaw, like a certain lowest threshold below which it just didn't want to have a go at it. It just wasn't going to optimize to be usable below a certain threshold. Yeah. It's, it is a power-hungry game. It requires more computer resources than you think you would need for a game of that visual level. But if you have a PC that can handle it, it looks gorgeous and it runs gorgeous. Yeah, I'm going to re- restart it now because I I, I I have since been incredibly lucky to get my hands on a coveted 3070. So I'm very happy about that. 
you, you should be fine. I'm on I'm on a 2017. Even that. Oh yeah, handles it plenty well enough. I'm I'm set for the next generation. Yeah, that was the 970 for me. That did me for most of last gen. Yeah. It started showing its age for me last year, though. Um, another game that I was playing was Iron Harvest, and I could barely get that running at thirty frames a second. That was that was rough. Mm. So I'm going to go back to that as well. That's that's uh, something I'm looking forward to dipping my toes back into. Uh, for those who don't know, Iron Harvest is like it's it's like a classic real time strategy in the vein of Command and Conquer, but. The neat thing about this, it's set in the same diesel punk world as the game, the board game Scythe. So if you ever played the board game Scythe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that was in, in the world of Scythe. Yes. So it's, it's the same. Oh. It's the same. So steampunk mech world. Steampunk mech hero. Diesel punk rather. Yeah. So you got, you big, yeah. Oh, fab. So I'm looking forward to dipping my toes back into that. And I think it's coming out on consoles. I'm not sure. Nice. I'm going to ca- quickly look this up while, while we still... So we can we can get closure on this one during the podcast. So, so uh, well, but before, well, before we wrap things up, there is one more story that I do think merits mentioning. I just want... I, I feel it's important that we shout out the developer... Very positive. Ah, yes. Recently yes. banned from Steam for review manipulations. Now, oh, that was nice. That's not technically true, but I get what I they were see, going. I, I see what Valve's coming. I see where Valve's coming from. They were right to remove them. Yeah, it is in the spirit of what they were doing. Very positive studios. They they've remained anonymous. In terms of who they are, I think they should come out. Yeah, I, I think that they have. I I think that they have a future in um, being a bit of a, a prankster who uh, exposes some of these weird things. If they you know want to keep looking for shit like this, I thought it was very very funny. Yeah, and I I hope that they seem to you know like think that they were going to sell video games on this basis, and that's unfortunate. If that's the case. Oh no, they've 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 talked and they've said like, oh, I expected this would go south, but I thought it would be funny. Yeah, and good for them for thinking it's funny because it is. And I, I do appreciate it. Yeah, so the short version is a not particularly good game was put up on Steam and the developer listed their the the developer and the publisher as very positive because they appeared just above the rating for the game or just below it it's just below the rating yeah so you went looking for the rating and you would see positive very positive very positive and one of those was a, a score for the game <laughs> uh well well it, it was creative of them yes i that's that you know nobody thought to do it before now which is a little surprising yeah and and nobody can do it again which is great <laughs> Uh, did you find out the the answer to that case as to whether the game was coming to console? Yeah, uh, still to to be announced, but um, that is something that will be coming to consoles, I think. Oh. Well, I think this is probably a good place for us to wrap up for this week. So, yeah, Casey, it's been lovely as ever to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. Self promotion. Is there anything you'd like to promote? Yes, I have a Twitch channel. So it's twitch.tv slash Casey Explosion. Now, I've been taking a little bit of a hiatus because I had gotten a bit burnt out and needed some rest. Very important. Then I had a horrible tooth problem and I've been in pure agony. 
So I'm okay now, but I, I, I'm not streaming this week, I don't think, but I will be back. All the fingers crossed, hopefully nothing breaks. I will be back next week. So I'm really looking forward to that. You should all go follow Casey on Twitch because then you'll be notified next, next stream that happens. So go do that. And I also have a Steam Curator page. So if you search for Casey Explosion on uh, Steam Curator, uh, that's where I keep all, all of the games that I recommend. And I do a nice little, little disclosure as well. So any games that I've that I've gotten a copy from the developer or publisher will be notified with this little this little gift icon next to it. So you can, you, if you follow this, uh, you will it will dramatically improve your Steam browsing experience, guaranteed. Actually, that's true. Casey is one of the uh, best, most consistently correct influencers in terms of games that are going to, even if they're not my thing, uh, be something. Oh, thank so, you. So, yeah, you should definitely follow Casey for that. Uh, Laura. Me. I do stuff on the internet, too. What a, what a coincidence. Yeah. Laura K. Buzz everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Uh, I stream Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays at 10 p.m. UK, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Uh, every Friday, I publish videos on youtube.com slash Laura K. Buzz. Uh, I do a series called Accessibility, all about accessibility and representation in the games industry. Uh, this week, we've got a video going up about Skyward Sword HD and that game having motion controls removed from it and left-handed motion control support and the fact that Nintendo should probably look at removing motion controls as a mandatory thing from a lot of their software. Uh, so go watch that. Uh, I've got some books. Uncomfortable Labels. That's about being an autistic trans woman. You can read that now. Things I Learned from Mario's Butt. It's an illustrated coffee table book of video game character butt reviews. That's also out now. Uh, Gender Euphoria releases on June 10th, 2021. It is a uh, an anthology of non-cis people's just positive, gender-affirming real-life stories. Uh, so that's, that's coming out soon. Plus, I'm working on a children's book that I'll be able to give more details about at some point soon, so that's interesting. Uh, and then there's podcasts. Pixel Squirt, it's about video game pornography. There's um, Queer and Pleasant Strangers, where me and my wife-to-be talk about things that aren't exclusively video games. And then there's Dice Funk, which is a Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I'm on seasons 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and starting very soon, season 8, we've recorded all of season seven now the post-mortem's recorded next week new character to start playing as so i'm excited about that you know who else has been on dice funk at points in in time conrad hey that's right you can also find me on twitter i'm at conrad zimmerman uh you can come and hang out with me on twitch twitch.tv slash that conrad zimmerman i'm gonna be shaking up my schedule a bit uh in the near future so you really should just go there right now and hit the notification follow thing and then that'll save the hassle yeah. of waiting to find out when i stream right it's just much more straightforward yeah it'll just tell you yeah when and if twitch decides to tell you uh 
Uh, you could buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks from me at conradreads.com. Uh, and you could also just support everything I do online directly at patreon.com slash fistshark. And speaking of Patreons, Jim is a Patreon that supports the Jimquisition and this podcast and all of the stuff that they do. And that is patreon.com slash Jim Sterling. Yeah, is that right? There's Jimquisition. I should know that. Uh, I think it's Jim Sterling. Let me check. I, I stop listening after the point I which, at which I say, Jim, you have a Patreon, don't you, every week. Uh, <laughs> but they're also on Twitch and doing more Twitch stuff. And as soon as their back gets better, and uh, I hope it will soon, they'll be back on that Twitch thing at Twitch. It is Jimquisition. It's Jim, so, Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. The Twitch is Jim Sterling. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Jim Sterling. And yeah, I think that's probably all that they'd want to say. Yeah. So there we go. Bye. Bye. They probably want to say thank God for me. <laughs> no, actually, I don't. I don't think they. I, I think that's more a formality at this point. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>